Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 102 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are still socially distancing, so we're talking to each other through computers and technology, but we're happy to be together today. Yes, we are. And uh, we do want to just say that this is not our normal sound quality, and we're, uh, we'll do our best to edit things so that we sound at least um, consistent with each other and don't hurt anyone's eardrums out there. Right, that's right. We know a lot of you listen with uh, little buds in your ears. We wanted to remind people before we jump into our regular segments that we have a read-along this month we're very excited about. Yes, we're going to be reading Go Went Gone by Jenny Erpenbeck. That is translated by Susan Bernofsky. Erpenbeck is, as we said in the last episode, one of the most critically acclaimed living European writers. She's a German writer, and we're super excited about reading the novel and then talking about it and we invite you all to contribute your comments and questions you can email them to us or put it on social media or on our goodreads discussion page yeah we're really excited about it and um, hope that you join us yeah what date do people need to submit questions by so we're going to be recording our discussion on may 22nd and the episode will go live on may 26th with episode 103 Great. And we do have a special announcement coming up in our upcoming Biblio Adventures segment. So listen up for that. Yeah, we're dropping hints, dropping (laughs) clues. (laughs) (laughs) We also want to let you know, too, at the end of this episode, we're really happy to share a booktube video that we did this morning with Rachel Bernbaum. She's the author of Bend in the Stars, which came out uh, last year in hardcover, and the paperback release is coming up next week on May 12th. And uh, we look forward to sharing that video with you here on this episode. Yeah, look, it was a really fun conversation, and I have the book. I haven't gotten a chance to read it, but I'm looking forward to it. So, Chris, what are you currently reading? I am currently reading nothing. <laughs> oh, must be, I, I hope that means you just finished something, not that you haven't been getting much time to read. Yeah, you know what I did? And I just, I gave myself a day or two to not pick up anything. Although, I mean, I have been reading around hearing the, here and there and, and reading articles and whatnot, but I haven't started a new book yet. But I do plan on jumping into our read-along book very soon. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I'm reading. So I'm reading Go Went Gone by Jenny Erpenpeck. I'm just about 60 pages in, and um, I really like it. It's very different. It's it's kind of what I would call a gentle read, Mm -hmm. you know, very contemplative. And so much about Germany, I cannot wait to talk to you about it. Oh, great. So what did you just read? Well, I've just, I finished a couple books that I've been working on that I've mentioned before in past episodes. I'll start with the audio book that I finished, and that was The Author at Work, The Art of Writing Fiction, and that's by Jenna Blum, and that's part of the Modern Scholar series, which is an, an audiobook series that uh, is, I started listening to them back when they still had cassettes, I believe, and then, you know, CD-ROMs. 
and now they are digitized. It's a fantastic series. You could learn about so many different topics, not just literary. Uh, there are a lot of other topics within the series as well. But I really enjoyed this one um, by Jenna. She really laid a lot of the basics of writing out and gave really good examples, I thought, from her own writing and um, sometimes from other people's writing. The chapter or the, the lecture that really inspired me was her talk on theme and how to develop theme. She talked about having insights, you know, uh, and revelations while she's in the shower, I believe. And I've heard other writers <laughs> talk about that. And I had my revelation while I was mowing the lawn the other day when it comes to theme and, and how she talked about it for a, a short story I've been working on. So I really enjoyed it and I got a lot out of it and I plan to re-listen to it. It's one of the, I did purchase it. So I'll be listening to that again. And one um, thing that she said, she mentioned what her three favorite novels are. And I got a kick out of it because one of them was Gone with the Wind. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. And then oh. the other two are also Chunksters. It's The Stand by Stephen King and then Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. And I love all three of those novels. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I, if, if you had me guess, I would have said The Stand because I've heard her talk about that, but I've not heard her mention the other two. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. great writers, all three great writers. Totally. So. Yeah, and three really oh. big books. She's like, you know, I don't write really big books, <laughs> but those were, the, those were the ones that really have um, stood the test of time with her. And I know The Stand is getting a lot of airplay these days again because it does deal with the worldwide pandemic that wipes out like 99.9 percent .9 of the population and yeah i read that one in high school and it really was engaging and it's really funny too because remember um here in the united states they tried to get world book night going mm -hmm. by and you could you know sign up to be a giver and give away a box of books and one year i signed up to give away the stand and it that was must really, have been a heavy oh, box of books. <laughs> it was heavy. And it was really funny because I, I knew, I said to myself, like, I'm going to be going up to people with this big-ass thick book in my hand, and they're all going to be looking at me like I'm trying to give away a copy of the Bible. Yeah. And it's so true. Like, I went up to some people at a bus stop. The guy actually took a step back from me. <laughs> and it uh, wasn't like I was being aggressive. I just had this big book in my hand. And I said, hey, would you be interested in a free novel? And he looked at me and I said, it's by Stephen King. And he's like, by Stephen King? Yeah, sure. He's like, I've never read anything by him, but I've seen some of his movies, so I'll totally take it. And then a guy next to him who overheard said, oh, I'll take one too. Well, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was a good year. And it, that was a really easy one to give away because the because of the name recognition and the movie adaptations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I never gave my books away one-on-one. Um, -on -one. I took them to the domestic violence shelter hmm. and, you know, just dropped them off as a, as a box. Okay. But I've heard so many wonderful stories about people, you know, having great conversations and standing out the outside the grocery store with their box and, mm -hmm. and things. It was a wonderful program and I'm sad that it didn't last here. Yeah, I am too. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I did it every year that they had it going and, mm -hmm. and went to different yeah. places each year. That year I was at the VA 
in um in illinois and at heinz hospital which was cool yeah so again that was the author at work the art of writing fiction by jenna blum audiobook part of the modern scholar series and it was 4.25 hours and it came out in 2014 so it's relatively new that's a good amount of time too to what i would think when you're in the middle of writing if you get stuck you could jump back into a section of it and find it pretty easily and and have jenna help you see the light right totally <laughs> how about you what have you just read I finished a book called Want by Lynn Steiger Strong. This book is coming out in July. She was one of the authors on a panel that you attended of the Newburyport Literary Festival last weekend. And this was a really interesting book. It's very New York. It's a work of fiction. It's about a young couple with two kids. And they're just trying to make a go of it in New York City, which isn't easy to do financially. They're both Ivy League educated, but still, you know, one of them is an, the, the mother is an adjunct professor in the evenings and she teaches at a tough, you know, middle school or high school during the day. A lot of it is about, you know, just commentary on our society and what it's like to be trying to make your way and raise your children and rush off to work every morning and not have health insurance and that sort of thing. But one of the complicating factors for her is she actually came from wealth. So she also is slightly estranged from her family and has kind of walked away from the lifestyle that she was born into. And, um, you know, when you're starting to struggle and seeing that you can't necessarily offer things to your children that you think they should have, you know, when do you make a compromise for yourself, you know, and um, maybe step back into your family life. So I really enjoyed it. She also, um, she's a, an English professor. And so there's so many literary references. She, she talks about so many different books. I really liked that part. And I wanted to just read one quote from it because I think it really sums up what the book is about. I wonder if any family, after too long trying and failing to love one another, can hear one another's words beyond all the ways that they fall short. So it's really about, as family, we have ways that we interact with each other historically, you know, because you all grew up together. And can you kind of make your way through that and see each other again, you know, Mm. especially in a situation like this where they've been estranged for a bit? Yeah. Again, it was called Want by Lynn Steiger Strong. It's coming out in July. Great. Yeah, that was a a really good session, too, with um, the writers talking about conversations with with their mothers, what we do and we don't talk about. So we can maybe put a... Well, you know what? They're all available on Facebook, I believe, aren't they? The Newberry... Yeah, they're on Facebook Live through a Mighty Blaze website, I think. So I can definitely link to that in the show notes. That's a session that I really wanted to go to and I didn't get to it. So now that I finished her book, I want to watch it all the more. So I'll try to tune into that at some point. So the other book that I read, I did finally finish the Harriet Beecher Stowe biography that I took pretty much the whole month of April to finish by Joan Hedrick. It was a fantastic biography. Um, You know, Harriet Beecher Stowe, she's the one who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, 
for those of you who, you know, maybe her name rings a bell, but you weren't sure. And, you know, she had, she wrote quite a few other books in her time and she was a very popular writer and uh, also started the travel writing trend, which is something I didn't really, I wasn't aware of, but she, well, not that she was the first travel writer, but she was the first upper middle class American who toured Europe and wrote home about it and wrote pieces about it on how to look at different tourist locations. So hmm. a lot of a lot of Americans when they were going to Europe on their tour had her book with them as a guide. Oh, interesting. I have no cool. idea. Yeah, so she, you know, and she was before Henry James and, you know, other American writers who made travel to Europe such a part of their literature. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. Harriet Beecher Stowe, so she was born in 1811 and she died in 1896. So, you know, that's pretty much the span of the 19th century. And I like so many good biographies, the, this book is not just about Stowe, but it's really, you know, placing her in the context of the 19th century and the major movements of what was going on uh, throughout each decade of that long century. I found that really fascinating, especially in terms of how writing became more of a profession in the 19th century, and then how uh, it was taken over by male writers because of different trends within society and uh, different. And so then not only did the men take it over, but different types of writing became more popular and others were shunned. And also, I think I mentioned in the last episode, that's when the whole highbrow, lowbrow judgments of art and literature mm-hmm. came into being, which are really fascinating to me. And she's also a Connecticut writer. She was right. born in Connecticut. She did live for 20 years in Cincinnati, Ohio, believe it or not. I don't think a lot of people know that. She was there from the early 1830s to 1850. Her sister fascinated me as well, Catherine Stowe who started the Hartford Female Academy. Gosh, I don't know if I got that name right. Um, but that w- Catherine was the older sister, and she really changed education for girls, focusing more on education instead of becoming a wife. Hmm. So that was another change in the 19th century that you know middle-class girls were now being educated in more formal ways. And Catherine's take was that she really wanted the education to be focused on them being useful to society, but there still really wasn't an outlet for them within society. So she was really kind of ahead of her time. It almost seems like she would raise a bunch of uh, women to be very frustrated. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) There was a lot of that. And, you know, you think about later 19th century literature, um, you know, like Charlotte Perkins Gilman's The Yellow Wallpaper. I love and, that book. Yeah, and yeah. just, you know, the treatment of women who who didn't have intellectual outlets. And even mm-hmm. Harriet Beecher Stowe, like, she would have, when she went on tour for Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was a bigger hit in, the, in England than it was in the United States, even though it was a, a huge hit here as well, her husband did a lot of her speaking for her, or her brother did. Hmm. They might deliver speeches that she actually wrote, but it was considered pretty much uncouth for a woman to speak in public. 
Hmm. And some of the criticism of Uncle Tom's Cabin went after her, not for what she was writing about. And what made Uncle Tom's Cabin so spectacular was that she kind of looked behind the the door of slavery, so to say, into the domestic situation of what really happened, you know, of the sexual abuse that was going on. And the criticism against her in, from some quarters was that she was being unwomanly for even writing about that. So the criticism wasn't about slavery. It wasn't about the cruelty of slavery. It was about a woman writing about such subjects. Sure. Which is, yeah. you know, it's so maddening. Well, it was, you know, felt threatening to people. Oh, so. sure. Like she was, yeah. yeah. One of the criticisms was from a writer, um, William Gilmore Sims. And he really, this is what he wrote. Mrs. Stowe betrays a malignity so remarkable that the petticoats lift itself and we see the hoof and the beast under the table. Oh, my. Yeah. So, yeah, so she pretty much, as uh, the author says, Hedrick says, like, she really put her womanhood on the line in writing Uncle Tom's Cabin. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it's fascinating. I could go on and on, as you can tell, about this biography. (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) I really did. So if anybody's looking for a really great biography of a writer or you want to learn more about the 19th century and women in the 19th century and authorship i totally recommend this one harriet beecher stowe a life by joan hedrick i read the late bloomers club by louise miller this was like candy for me (laughs) it was so delicious i loved every single page of it louise miller um is a baker by trade and an author by night actually i don't know if that's true she might write during the day i have no idea (laughs) But she also wrote The City Baker's Guide to Country Living. Um, the Late Bloomers Club is the second book she's written, I'm, I'm fairly certain. Both of them take place in Guthrie, Vermont, which is exactly like Stars Hollow oh, of wow. Gilmore Girls fame. I mean, you totally think you are in Stars Hollow. And they even have town meetings and, you know, there's the chatty Cathy's and whatever. You know, you can just picture them all walking down the street. (laughs) Um, And the premise of the book is there are these two sisters who are now both of their parents have passed away. One of the older sister took over the family diner, the Miss Guthrie diner. And the younger sister went to kind of flip and be free. She's a, um, an artist of sorts. Unbeknownst to them, a neighbor has given them her estate in her will and she passes away mm-hmm. unexpectedly. And so now these two sisters have this property and the younger sister comes back to town to Guthrie, Vermont, and all sorts of antics ensue. And I loved it. There was cake and there was love and <laughs> it was a perfect vacation book for me. I wasn't on vacation, but a vacation <laughs> from my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just hugely important these days. <laughs> oh my gosh, so much. I just it was so it was the perfect timing for me to read it. And there was one little um little sections that I really enjoyed where they had like emails for a town forum. So, you know, the woman who passed away had a dog that she adored. 
the dog went kind of running free, which I guess animals often do when they've been startled by something or had a tragedy in their lives. Mm -hmm. And the dog's name is Freckles and Freckles is spotted all around town and people are leaving food out for him. And so they're posting on the town forum page and they were kind of like, you know, when you read an epistolary novel with letters, Mm -hmm. there were sections like that for the town forum. And I really enjoyed that too. I thought that was really fun. So again, the late bloomers club by Louise Miller. Highly recommend. That sounds good. I'll check that out. Um, The other thing I read was The Country of the Pointed Furs by Sarah Orne Jewett. I think last episode I was reading it, or I was going to read it. This is a novel that came out in 1896, I believe it was. And Jewett, it's it's really fascinating because I had some cross-pollination happening because... Jewett was of the uh, the generation following Harry Beecher Stowe, and the two of them actually met. The Country of the Pointed Furs is considered Jewett's best work by a lot of people, and you know she wrote stories, for the most part, set on the coast of Maine, which is where she was from. And this book was just such a slice of life in this small community, this small seafaring and farming town on the coast of Maine, which made me wonder in part about, you know, early Guilford, because the mm-hmm. Guilford, where we live here in Connecticut, is a, was a initially a fishing and farming village as well. So the premise is this woman who's a writer is coming to spend the summer as a boarder at this woman's house. And you know, it's a kind of like the clash of initially being a writer who's coming here for, you know, solitude and quiet. And she gets embroiled a little bit in in the woman, her her landlord's life in Mm. a good way. Um, At first, she tries to distance herself and she ends up renting the schoolroom for the summer. And she realizes at one point when there's a funeral and she doesn't attend the funeral, and but she can see the townspeople walking behind the casket from her vantage point at the school. And she realizes, even though she's starting to feel connected to these people, by not going to the funeral, she definitely distinguished herself as an outsider. And so that's kind of like a turning point where you then see her getting more involved with the people. And it's just, you know, if you wonder what life was like, in late 19th century Maine, this would be a great book to read because it is such a slice of life and the characters are just so memorable and delightful. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I really did. I'm, it was one of those books that was on my list to read for gosh, you know, seriously, at least 25 years. And I'm so glad I finally got to it. And Jewett was also a big influence on Willa Cather So it's kind of cool to see that in a lot of ways, like Harry Beecher Stowe writing about specific locations kind of helped Sarah Orne Jewett to write about her own specific locations. And then Jewett in her part for the next generation, you know, Cather's being a mentor to her and telling her, you know, you need to look at the material that you have from your life and get some distance so you can see it. And not so much be right in it, because when you're right in it, you can't really, you can't get perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll kind of slip into just sentimentality in a lot of ways. So 
great, great uh, writer, and I look forward to reading more from her. And I want to find a biography, too, of, of Sarah Orne Jewett. I'd be really interested in learning more about her. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's one. Well, I shouldn't be so sure. I would hope there's one out there. Yeah. You'll have to let us know what you find. Absolutely. So that was, again, The Country of the Pointed Furs by Sarah Orne Jewett. I finished a book for my book club called Real Life by Brandon Taylor. This was just out um, in the last couple of months. It's a debut novel, just beautifully written. This is a blurb on the back from Roxane Gay. There is writing so exceptional, so intricately crafted that it demands reverence. The intimate prose of Brandon Taylor's exquisite debut novel offers exactly that kind of writing. Hmm. And I agree. I mean, it's one of those books where you're not going to skim. You know, you need to read every word. And it's um, about Wallace, who's a gay black man. Um, He's from Alabama, but where we find him in the book is working towards a degree in biochemistry in a Midwestern state. I never quite figured it out. I think I don't think he says exactly what state my guess was Minnesota or Wisconsin. But the book takes place over the course of just one weekend. And um, we learn that his father back in Alabama has passed away. And Wallace is, he has a group of folks that he hangs around with, you know, on and off campus. And then there's also some folks that he works with in the biochemistry lab. There's at least one, I think maybe two chapters that are pretty intensely talking about nematodes. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce them. <laughs> nematodes, nematodes. That um, that was the only part of the book that I was like, okay, enough with the nematodes. But um, I felt like there was something about them that I should have, like there was something literal about that that I didn't quite get. And I'm looking forward to talking to my book group about it because I'm, they're very, all very smart. And I'm sure one of them will enlighten me as to why he chose to use that in the book but (laughs) but what you come to find as it kind of goes straight forward in time there's one chapter where he kind of is telling some backstory about himself but you're still in current day Mm -hmm. and that he was abused as a child and also he's faced a lot of racism in his life and continues to face racism and I think what it really speaks to also is how we can be complicit in racism and be unaware of it or perhaps be aware of it, be be afraid to speak up Mm -hmm. on the behalf of someone who's being disrespected or is being treated unfairly in the workplace. And sometimes that's out of fear for your own space and job. I get it, you know, but um, you know, in this book, Brandon Taylor's really, calling us to task about that you know I feel like to think about it as a reader Um, I'll give you an example there's a section where he's been really mistreated at work and he's the only black person at work and then there's an Asian woman too so they kind of sympathize with each other but he says um, this is Wallace thinking and he's in his lover's arms so Wallace pauses still in Miller's arms there will always be this moment there will always be good white people who love him and want the best for him, but who, who are more afraid of other white people than of letting him down. It is easier for them to let it happen and to triage the wound later 
than to introduce an element of the unknown into the situation. No matter how good they are, no matter how loving, they will always be complicit, a danger, a wound waiting to happen. Wow. Yeah, his writing... Oh, it's so unbelievable. You know, it was a hard book for me to read. I wouldn't, I'm glad I read it. I enjoyed the writing. I put this book a little bit in the category of A Little Life by Hana Yanagihara. You know, I feel like it hurt to read, but I'm glad I read it. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, that's painful. That's a painful truth right there. Yeah. It really does. And then there's the same kind of sort of theme also just about, you know, how you're loved then, because sometimes, um, especially if you've been abused and people who are supposed to support you in your life, like your parents, who don't necessarily acknowledge it or sometimes, you know, imply that it's your fault or that you enjoyed it. You know, that really has an impact on the relationships and the intimacy that you seek out as you move forward in your life. Mm -hmm. So he really touches on a lot in this book. And it's not, it's not, you know, a chunkster. It was just under just over 300 pages. Um, But this is his first book. And I, I'm so amazed by it. He is also I believe let me look he's um senior editor of electric literatures recommended reading and a staff writer at lit hub. And he was a fellow at the Iowa Writers Workshop. So he's got some writing chops. That's all I got to say. Again, it's called Real Life by Brandon Taylor. Oh, well, I want to read the books you read. Jeez, <laughs> some good reading there. I um, did get some good reading done, which was nice because I haven't, that all happened like in one week. And then I haven't really read since I've been doing a lot of crossword puzzles because my brain is a little bit taxed right now, but yeah. I'm looking forward to just spending a lot of the weekend with Go Wink Gone. So cool. You know, yeah. speaking of puzzles, Laura and I actually bought a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle. Um, oh, nice. The last time I went to RJ Julia to pick up a book I had ordered, I was standing there out front waiting and looking, and they had all these puzzles um, in their front window. And Laura happened to call me just as I was standing out there for something else. And I was like, hey, do you want me to get a puzzle? They have all these puzzles. She's like, sure. We've never done a puzzle together. Um, so I picked one up and we've been, we just started doing the puzzle. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah. it gives your brain a different kind of break. Yeah, there's something about it that's just really, it's like a relief to me. I mean, I, I was talking to my son Jacob about this just this morning at breakfast that I don't know what it is about crossword puzzles, but before I go to bed the last week, I've just spent time working on a crossword puzzle. And it's like, it's almost like there's a switch that just like, okay, you can be off now. Nighty night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So did you read anything else? I did. I read one more and that was Loretta Lynn's new memoir called me and Patsy kicking up dust my friendship with Patsy Klein. And this book was written with her daughter, Patsy Lynn Russell. The foreword was by Dolly Parton. So lots of country clout right there. Um, I love Patsy Klein. My parents, I remember when I was in grade school, they bought me a radio slash cassette. You know, oh, I remember those. Know, yeah, it was this little <laughs> white one little space age looking one. That was the first time I really set out to discover my own music. Because before that, like my parents had albums and eight tracks, 
but I was always consuming what they consumed, which I loved. They listened to a lot of musicals and classical music and some adult pop stuff. John Denver, the Carpenters, you know. Um, but so one night when I was turning through the dial, I happened upon a Merle Haggard song, like his voice. I didn't know who he was, but his voice really captured me. So I kept that station on. And I remember a Patsy Cline song coming on and thinking, like, God, I really like her voice, too. So that just got me hooked on, you know, like the older country. Mm-hmm. And um, around that same time, I discovered the nonfiction section, the adult nonfiction section of my public library. And I stumbled upon books about country music. So I just kind of went hog wild on it all. And I read a biography of Patsy Cline And I'm pretty sure I read Loretta Lynn's Coal Miner's Daughter when that came out. I know I definitely saw the movie. So I've always been interested in Patsy Cline. And, you know, I'm a Loretta Lynn fan as well. So this picking up this book, which just came out, was a no-brainer. There's a long story to get to that statement. Um, (laughs) So it was like reading candy, you know. Um, Super quick read. Some of it is familiar for those of you who've, read other memoirs and interviews with Loretta. But I think there's some newer information in here too, things she hasn't talked about before. Like the first time she climaxed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't recall. (laughs) Right? Um, I don't recall her talking about that before, but it's 1962 in this chapter. It's called, the chapter title is called Turning Up the Heat. And it's exactly (laughs) what you think it means. So she had been married for 15 years and had four children before she had her first orgasm. Wow. And she talks about this. She said, you know, this is, she says, I can't believe I'm telling this, but I am. It's the truth and it's important. Y'all know me. I can't help but say the truth. And I do think this is so important um, for women to talk about. You know, another issue is the issue of birth control, because Loretta's known for her song, The Pill, and Mm -hmm. another songs that mention birth control. And as she, I just want to read this really short paragraph. She says, this was long before we had birth control pills. Shoot, if I had the pill, I would have been taking it. Like I told that People magazine, if I'd known, I'd have eaten them like popcorn. her children feel about a statement like that I always think that's like a dangerous thing to say you know yeah well I mean when you think about that she got married when she was 15 yeah and she had four kids in four years yeah I mean she had no idea about sex at all if you've seen the movie you know she was raped on her wedding night so it's it's intense I mean the book for the most part is is not that intense. It's a lot of fond memories and uh, just how Patsy Cline influenced her. And the thing about climaxing was uh, Patsy Cline introducing her to lingerie and then the rest is history. Mm. Another thing <laughs> is that she knocked out her husband's two front teeth. Oh, wow. I don't remember I had that. no idea. Yeah, but he, you know, because he was a drinking man and a cheater. And that is one thing I don't understand. Uh, as much as I do like Loretta Lynn, I just can't understand staying with somebody who cheats in that way and blaming the other women for it. Mm. 
I mean, she says that... I, I get I get how someone stays. I don't get how you blame somebody else. I mean, I guess you have to try to justify it in your own mind. Yeah, well, they're homewreckers, you know? Mm-hmm. They're the homewrecker, and she feels like she took her vows very seriously, and she didn't cheat. And as she says, mm-hmm. if somebody's cheating on you, that's their problem. Hmm. It's not a reflection of you, which, you know, I tend to think it takes two or three in that case but anyway <laughs> i'm getting way off track with this yeah. if, if you like loretta lynn patsy klein i definitely recommend the book it's a a fun read down memory lane and a really great glimpse a horrifying glimpse at times um but also a fun glimpse into the country music scene particularly of like the 60s and 70s great i'm yes. so glad you read it yeah so again that's me and patsy kicking up dust by loretta lynn So did you get to go on any Biblio adventures or couch Biblio adventures as they might be? I went on one just last night, actually. It was through the Center for Fiction. They had a conversation between some mystery writers. So it was with Megan Abbott, Allison Galen, Jonathan Santlofer. I'm not sure if I just butchered his name. Dwayne Swarzynski and Lauren Wilkinson. And they just talked about what they've been reading in the mystery genre lately, and then also movies. So it was a fun conversation. I enjoyed it very much. Cool. Yeah. Now, I've never done one of the Center for Fiction virtual events. Did you like the setup of it? Yeah, I mean, they used Zoom, and it was just the panelists talking. People who were attending, you could submit questions. Mm-hmm. But um, there was no interaction other than chat questions. So I yeah. liked it because, yeah. um, you know, I, I do like to hear what they had to say about what they've been reading and watching and whatnot. I too did a virtual event with Reads and Company Bookshop, which is in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. It was with the authors Mary Beth Keene and Juliet Grames. Their, their books are Ask Again, Yes, and The Seven or Eight Deaths of Stella Fortuna. Cool. It was really fun because Aunt Ellen was on the event with me, too. So oh. I felt like I got to do an event with her. That's so neat. <laughs> it felt like the old days when we went to New York and did things like that. <laughs> Seems like um, years ago. <laughs> exactly. And these were both books that I loved. And they were, um, so both of these authors were supposed to be heading out on tours because their paperbacks are being released. Uh, this week the owner of the store introduced them they used the crowdcast platform which i thought was really great i mean partly i think for me i spend so much time on zoom during the week for work it was like oh i get to look at something a little bit different looking (laughs) so it was kind of fun but he introduced them and talked a little bit about each of their books and then he really just let them have a conversation which was really nice and I really enjoyed it. And then he had a question and answer, you know, same thing as you were saying, like you could type in your question. And I typed a question that he ended up ending with. I asked them, what was the strangest or funniest book event they've ever done? Juliet just talked about how um, in it, she's Italian, you know, and her book is very Italian and how that when she does book events, she brings her mother and her baby 
And so one of the first book events she did when her book came out, she went to someone's house with her mother and her baby. (laughs) And they they ended up, you know, like talking to her mom and wanting all the skinny on on Juliet instead of really talking about her book, which she thought was really funny. And then Mary Beth Keene talked about a similar kind of event where it was going to someone's house for a book club. And, you know, she had young kids at the time and she had to get a a babysitter and it was a whole big thing. And she got dressed and did her hair and all this kind of stuff. And she drives to the woman's house and rings the doorbell. And the woman comes to the door like in a robe with a towel on her head because Mary Beth Keene had arrived on the wrong day. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was hilarious. And I could totally see myself doing something like that. So. Um, either being a guest that arrives on the wrong day or being the you know person who's supposed to be the guest of honor and arriving on the wrong day. I could do either, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also wanted to talk about, I don't know if you had this jotted down, Chris, to talk about, but Books on the Nightstand surprised the world yes. this week, too. <laughs> they did. Anne and Michael came back and they did a video uh, they claim it's a one-time video. We have no insider information otherwise, so we're going with this as a one-time thing. Um, but they did a booktube video conversation in the style of the podcast. Yeah, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. They called it um, Books on the Nightstand Trapped at Home. It was very cute, and it was so nice to hear their voices. I think we should start a letter-writing campaign or whatever you do in, in the current day and age to try to get them to do it, you know, once a month or something. Right, but yeah. <laughs> not to be greedy. I did love it. It was really wonderful. It sure was. And they recommended great books as usual, so do check out that video. Yeah, for sure. And then I also was listening to some podcasts I wanted to talk about, but I'm hogging airtime. Did you have something else you wanted to talk about? No. I listened, I've started to listen to three podcasts that are hosted by authors. The first one is Brene Brown, who's an author I adore. And she just started a new podcast called Unlocking Us that I highly recommend. And then Cheryl Strayed. She used to have a podcast, but she but it ended, but she's come back with one that's called Sugar Calling. Mm. She used to be the advice columnist called Dear Sugar. So in Sugar Calling, she calls to get seek advice from people who are over the age of 60. So like last night, I just listened to her interview with the author Judy Bloom. Oh, wow. And it was really... Great. She, she, I've listened to one with Margaret Atwood. It's really wonderful. I highly recommend it. Again, that was called Sugar Calling. That's fantastic. And, I love that. Yeah. The premise yeah. of of that. How long are they? They're like thirty minutes. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the chef Somin Nasrat started a podcast called Home Cooking. And she's the author of the cookbook, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And it's really fun. It's funny. She laughs a lot. And her co-host, whose name is escaping me, apologies, it's it's cute because he's not a cook like she is, you know. So she'll talk about, you know, making these things from scratch. And then he'll say, well, I took out my frozen bag of corn from Trader Joe's. You know? <laughs> and it's like right on, you know, so um, so they have very engaging and funny conversations. That's so. great. Nice. 
do you have any upcoming Biblio adventures? I do. It's a book cougar Biblio adventure. A what? Ha! <laughs> a book cougar Biblio adventure. Do tell. Well, you know, we've been so sad not to be going on Biblio Adventures. We thought we would just make one of our own. Heck yeah. We are opening up our read-along discussion as a Zoom book discussion. Yeah. May 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sunday, 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 May 17th. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. We've obviously never done such an event, and... Uh, we thought, let's give it a try. So if you're interested and you'd like to participate, please send us an email to bookcougars at gmail.com saying that you'd like to be part of the discussion and we will send you the invite link. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. We haven't had a whole lot of time to talk about the design of what the evening will be like, but we're going to talk about the book that much we know yeah so if you're interested join us or if you don't want to join us that way please you know send questions as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast so have you got any upcoming reads planned chris well you know other than go went gone i have two in my hands right now and they're actually by two guests that we've had on the podcast recently the first thing is A Small Thing to Want, which is Shirley K. Wood's new collection of short stories. I had planned to, to read it already, but then I, you know, I got kind of busy the last couple days. So I will be starting that soon. And then the other book is a library book that I had checked out before the libraries closed. Um, but I, it's so interesting. I haven't been reading the library books that I have checked out. I do have a small stack of them. Um, so I am going to be starting The Sun and the Moon, The Remarkable True Account of Hoaxers, Showmen, Dueling Journalists, and Lunar Man Bats in 19th Century New York. This is by Matthew Goodman. And right we've had both of them on the podcast. This book by Matthew, it is, it's a history book, and it focuses on uh, 1830s New York City. And I'm missing New York so much and I always love to read about history so I thought that would be a great thing to jump into next. I think Shuli and Matthew would get such a hoot out of the two of them being listed together like that because <laughs> um, Shuli uh, tributes is that the right word? Attributes. Um, yeah. Attributes her writing. Oh, tributes. Well, maybe she wants to do a yeah. tribute to Matthew. Tribute that to could Matthew. be it. <laughs> I'd be on um, board with, with that. <laughs> yes, that's right. With really um, being a teacher that really helped her, you know, get her writing going mm-hmm. back in the day. So that's really fun that you have them both, you know, listed together. And Shuli's book just came out on May 3rd. So yeah. get yourself a copy. Brand new. So how I about have- you? I have um, three books that I have listed. The Redhead by the Side of the Road, which is Ann Tyler's new book. I'm hearing really good reviews about it. And I just love an Ann Tyler book. And then I have something a little different for me. It's a graphic novel. It's called Relish, My Life in the Kitchen by Lucy Kninsley. I don't remember how this got in my queue, but huh. it did. And it just arrived in the library. Yeah. 
I opened it, you know, it's an, it's an ebook. Um, and I opened it and I opened it on my iPad and the art was really, really cool. I struggle with graphic novels because I tend to focus on the words mm-hmm. and then forget that I'm supposed to be looking at pictures, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to try to take it slow with this one and really appreciate both the words and the pictures. And then the third one I really would like to dig into is A Bend in the Stars by Rachel Berenbaum. Well, that book sounds really fascinating. Great. Well, coming up next is our interview with Rachel Berenbaum. We're going to leave you with that today. Enjoy our interview with Rachel. Happy Happy reading. reading. We have with us today a new friend, Rachel Berenbaum, and she is the author of A Bend in the Stars, as you can see that great background behind her. Um, A Bend in the Stars was a New York Times summer reading selection, a Barnes and Noble Discover Great Writers selection, and it was also a Boston Globe bestseller. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, our pleasure. And so your uh, book, A Bend in the Stars, it came out in hardcover, and we understand it's going to be coming out in paperback next week. Yes. Very exciting. Yes. (laughs) Can you give us like a one-minute kind of synopsis of the novel? Sure. Uh, It's set in 1914 Russia, and A Bend in the Stars is the story of a scientist racing Einstein to prove relativity. And he goes after his last piece of the proof, which would be physical evidence, a photograph at a total solar eclipse, a photograph in which he could see light bending around the sun. Mm. And he goes missing. And then my protagonist, Miri, who is his sister, goes after him. She's one of Russia's first female surgeons. She's a feminist, well beyond her time. She's amazing. She's the hero. She saves the day. She saves the family. There's love and adventure and science and history. And uh, above all, it's really a story about survival and uh, finding the way out of Russia, out of anti-Semitism and pogroms and the way forward to America. So I imagine you had to do a lot of research for this novel. How, (laughs) How did you do your research? How long did it take you? How long did it take you to write the novel? Yeah, so, skinny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love to talk about the research part because I love the research. Um, and basically, uh, my family came over from Russia uh, well before I was born. My grandparents and great-grandparents came, and uh, Russia was a bad word. In our house, we weren't allowed to talk about it. There was no Russian. There was no Yiddish. We were Americans. We spoke English. So, of course, all I wanted to know about was Russia. <laughs> That's all I read about. So... I knew a lot about the history and the time period, but specifically for the book, I didn't have an understanding of what it would look like, how I could put Mary on a train in 1914. So there are a lot of train scenes, and if she's you know, running down the aisle of a train or you know, fighting someone on a train, what is she going to hit her head on? And that, you know, that kind of research. If she's walking down the street, what is she stepping on? Um, so I did a lot of uh, research into picture archives, photo archives, through National Geographic. They actually published in 1914, right before World War One, right at the end of the Romanovs, um, this massive issue featuring pictures from all across the empire. So that was a huge treasure trove. And then there's a resource called YIVO, which is an online Jewish encyclopedia, which I spent. So I just researched lots of pictures so I could see in my head what the scene would look like and add to that the history parts. Um, so that's how it came together. Wow, very cool. We just did a buddy read of a book um, 
the secrets we kept, which had, yeah. you know, scenes in Russia and everything. So we were really drawn to your book too, um, being set in Russia. Yeah. Um, Such a great book. I loved that. Yeah. Laura Prescott's yeah. an amazing author. Yeah. yeah. So how did your family feel about you rebelling and writing about <laughs> Russia? <laughs> well, I should say, I know. So, um, I should say that that those generations that had lived in Russia that still had those memories have since have passed away. Right. So, uh, you know, they weren't there to yell at me. Yeah. I was wondering, uh, Rachel, in your acknowledgments, you talk about Grub Street and the novel Incubator. How did yeah. they help you with the writing of the novel? Cause you really gave them quite a lot of shout outs. Yes. Yes. They, changed my life. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I uh, was working in business before I got my MBA at Harvard and was running a hedge fund. But at night, I was always writing books and on the weekend writing books. And I've queried many other books. So um, and I just said to myself, you know, I was getting closer to 40. And I said, what are you doing? Do you want to be trading stocks? you know, 10 years from now? And the answer was no, I didn't want to be trading stocks. So I applied for the Novel Incubator, which is this year long novel program. And I think it's competitive, pretty competitive to get in. And so when I got in, Michelle Hoover accepted me. I just said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I closed my fund. I stopped working in business and I just went full time into writing, into making this book happen. And uh, I, I don't think I would have had the confidence to ever do that without being accepted. And then also I got the skills and a community to really support me. And then, you know, at the end of the program, I found my agent at the Grub Street Muse in the Marketplace conference and, uh, you know, really got my boost from Grub Street. So that's why they're in there so prominently. That's great. So how, you know, I know writing communities are so important to writers and yet you need that solitude to do the creative work. How, how are things going for you now um, during this time of isolation? Are you able to write and read and is life going on pretty much the same for you at this point? Uh, not the same at all, right? Because we're missing so many writers have books coming out now, launches, right? My own paperback launches next week. And one of the highlights of writing is when you get to go and see your book pushed out into the world and see your friends' books go out there. So it's been really disappointing. Um, and I've spent, I've been spending a lot of my time, my next book actually sold, it's called The History of Time Travel. And that will be coming out in December of 21. So I'm really working on that very hard, working on the edits. But I really miss, you know, you spend a lot of time with your characters. And then you love to talk about them with your writer friends who have read your, you know, drafts and drafts. So I'm, I'm missing that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, listeners should know that Rachel is also working with A Mighty Blaze. We had Carolyn and um, Jenna on a couple weeks ago now, and I believe you interview the debut novelists, right? Yes, yeah. That's what I thought. And so, you know, you're you're doing your part to kind of help these folks who, you know, their tours have been canceled or just even the first time getting used to talking about your book and sharing it with the world. So that's a really lovely service that you've been offering. You did get to have a tour for your hardback and go out and talk. It's a little bit different not to be able to do it for the paperback, but yeah. hopefully the new book in December, you'll be able to do that and be back out on the road again. 
Yeah, I'm hoping. Mighty Blaze has been amazing. I actually uh, was talking to Jenna. She's been a mentor of mine all along. And I said, you know, I said, I feel so bad for these debut authors and I want to do anything I possibly can to help them get out there, right? Because you spend 10 years, a lifetime working on this book. Your whole heart and soul is in it. And then your debut is canceled, your launch. And uh, she was saying, well, I'm starting this mighty blaze. You know, maybe you can, you know, be the debut editor. And I just jumped on it. And it's been amazing to be able to hopefully help as many of these debut authors as I can. Yeah, it's a it's a very strange time for that. But are, have you been? Um, do you dial into any book clubs or anything like that? Uh, well, through my novel incubator alumni community, we have meetings once a week, and so um, you know we really talk about our writing, and uh, we'll some you know we schedule readings, people's drafts, and stuff like that, and. Uh, so I've been spending, you know, a lot of time on that. It's just not the same. It's yeah. so it's so much better to sit in front of a writer, a friend's face, you know, to say, let's talk about this character. It's not working. Yeah. You know, how, how can we make that better? Because even though, you know, I see you guys right now, your lovely faces, but there's a distance. You miss this sort of warmth. I mean, I'm sure we're all feeling this right now. Yeah, definitely we are. And I can't wait to get back in the room with Emily and record in person. We really miss that and going out to author events that's something we've always done both of us individually and together so we're yeah. looking forward to that again yeah i mean i've done some virtual author events and i think you know the good thing about them is that people can watch them from a distance where you know you wouldn't necessarily be able to have gone to the bookstore but it definitely isn't the same and i really look forward to when we can all you know be in rooms together and not be afraid and you know right. all of that yeah so. yeah yeah. yeah, it's um, a funny thing because I was um, presenting to the Hadassah Brandeis Institute just the other day, you know, and you see how many people are on the call. A lot of people are on this call listening. And I um, had the opportunity to present some of my research because you can share your screen, right, and show some of the photographs and the archives that I went through. And when I do that in person, I can see if the audience, you know, are they into it? Should I go faster? Should I go slower? Right. right. Enjoying it. And then, and then I got off this call. It was an hour-long presentation, and I'm thinking, did they like it? Yeah. <laughs> did anyone like the photographs? And you, you can see the chat and questions some people are following, but yeah. it's, uh, so it's hard to I, know. Yeah. I guess it's like, you know, it's also easier to leave the room. Like, oh, I think I'm yeah. going to go. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I didn't oh, well, oh, I had one other question about your book. Um, but it's it's revolves around a solar eclipse, right? Yeah. How did yeah. you decide to do that? I mean, I'm I'm ignorant of history. Was that actually happening during that time period, or did you just decide that that would be something yeah, no. that would work for you? Yeah, so the book is based on um, an, the actual true life race to prove relativity. So mm -hmm. in uh, 2014, I was reading an issue of Scientific American, and it said 100 years ago this month, Einstein was just on the verge of proving relativity. Mm -hmm. He had the idea, of course, and he had equations. They were wrong, but he didn't know that at the time. Um, and he just needed a photograph of a total solar eclipse 
uh, in order to prove relativity. And the photograph, so at this part of the theory is that light bends to gravity. It doesn't travel in a straight line. And you can see that at the eclipse. And one was coming over Russia in 1914. So he mounted an expedition. He raised the money. He sent them up um, you know, to take this picture for him. And then everyone, his whole party was stopped at the border because of the war. But there were a lot of other people working on the same problem on relativity. It was Einstein's idea. But then he needed to translate it into equations to math to describe by how much light is bent. That, right, that angle, you can calculate it, and then to get the picture. So there were actually a number of expeditions in Russia in 1914 set up to photograph the eclipse, but it rained um, oh, and oh. it was cloudy. And so as I'm reading this article, I thought, but what if somebody did it, right? <laughs> yeah. What if one person did it? And what if it could be my scientist, Vanya? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I based it on this real life story. All of my characters are invented, but um, like I said, when, you know, the scenes are absolutely real to 1914, every detail in there is real. It's as if it's a dollhouse, right, have dropped into the time period. And that race to prove relativity is absolutely real. So all of it is based on history. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that writer's brain thinking, what if, yeah. you know, yes. and where that has taken you. Uh, yeah. Would you be able to talk a little bit about your forthcoming novel? Yes. Thank you for asking. So um, it's tentatively called The History of Time Travel, although I think the title is going to change. The marketing department at my publisher, I guess, is not a fan of the title. So I, and they are very good. So if they say they don't like a title, they don't like a cover, I'm very happy to listen to them. Um, but it is the story of three generations of women living in Russia, moving over to America, and each generation builds a piece of the time machine to save the family and to stop Chernobyl. Oh. Wow. That sounds fascinating. Wow. Yeah, so it's actually the second part of relativity. So Abandon the Stars is really about, you know, the race to prove the basic science. And at that point, we're at, you know, this the pure... The, the beautiful part of science, I like to think, where it's just this idea, and can we prove it? Is humanity capable, right, of figuring this out? And then we do figure it out. And then in history of time travel, it's now that we have this theory, we use it to build, you know, arguably the worst weapon ever conceived, right, atomic weapons, and should we use them? And the question of is science always corrupted? Is it always used? in the worst ways, can is there any way to keep that purity, right? The idea, use it for good. Those are the right. questions that I'm tackling in the next book. Oh, that, sounds, oh, that great. sounds great. Yeah, so have you always been interested in science? Um, yes, so I'm not a scientist, yeah. but uh, I studied philosophy as an undergrad at Harvard. And the questions, you know, philosophy class really starts with, uh, I had this one class where it said, what is time? And this is how Einstein thought, you know, it started too with the bigger ideas of what is time? Well, minutes, seconds, hours, they're invented. A calendar is invented, right? There's no such thing as December or, you know, May if you're on the moon or 2 p.m. And uh, they're all different calendars. And I highlight those in the book too. There's the Jewish calendar, there's the Russian calendar, a calendar we use. So I really approached the science more from the philosophical side. Um, because there are bigger questions that start those searches that are then translated into equations. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. 
So glad there are smart people in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Figure out all that. So, Rachel, you've been coming into contact with so many new books coming out. We thought we would end our conversation by asking you the question of what you're currently reading or something you recently finished that people might be interested in. Yes, thank you. So uh, I mentioned that I've been working with all these debut authors to try to get them out there on uh, through Mighty Blaze and doing interviews like this. Um, and so I've been so lucky. I've gotten a lot of books sent to me and I've gotten to read a lot of early books. And I just finished this book last night, two nights ago. I don't know if you can see it through my crazy yeah. magazine. It's called Migrations. And it's by Charlotte McConaughey. And she's a debut author. I think she's Australian. It comes out in August. And it was so good. It's the story where she imagines um, you know, basically m- many animals, fish, birds are extinct. We've destroyed uh, the environment. And this one woman and a sailor sort of go out to track the very last of this one species of bird. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine lots of philosophical deep questions coming in, but also just beautiful writing, a beautiful story. Oh, that's great. I've seen that cover floating around. I think it's going to be a popular book. Thank you so much. And that comes out in August and your paperback comes out next week. Yes, it does. Thank you. A Bend in the Stars comes out on Tuesday, May 12th. Awesome. All right, Rachel, thank you so much for coming to talk with us this morning. Thank Thank you. you. It's been such a blast. I'm just so thrilled that you're talking books. (laughs) Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Until then, come chat with us on social media or on our Goodreads group. And if you'd like to contact us directly, email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Ram!